Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Not So Serious Sunday, the Brandon and Evan Show, a.k.a. the B&E Podcast, a.k.a. Brandon and Evan Show. Brandon and Evan Show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when we, uh, way back in the day when Evan and I were going to start our first little production company, we were going to call it uh, Breakin' Entertainment. Yeah, that was called Breakin' Entertainment. Yeah, because yeah, we were going to do B&E Productions or B&E something. It was and it taken. Was, yeah, it was taken. Breakin' Entertainment might be taken now. Who knows? But Yeah, yeah we anyway. let that one fall. <laughs> not a big deal. Um, yeah, so Not So Serious Sunday. So we're just going to talk about some random stuff about art, and we'll see where we end up. Yeah, so let's start riffing. Yeah, um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, Milestone for me, written for four years um, every single day now. Oh, okay. Cause I saw you posted that thing, but it was like still the day mark. It was, uh, it was actually, I, I, I didn't realize I'd actually hit the milestone until about almost two weeks after. No. Oh. <laughs> so it's, it's basically, uh, four years and two weeks now, but, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, in these last four years, there's been, um, some really interesting things that have happened. And so I've written every single day for at least minimum half an hour every day. Although I would say on average, it's more like an hour or two every day. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and naturally I think it just increases. It's probably even more than that because I've begun to get writing jobs. Um, I've had, I've opened up, you know, to other projects. Like, I mean, I'm not just screenwriting now. I'm, I'm novel writing and I'm book writing and doing stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean the whole thing of persistence, you know, um, of just staying, staying at it every day and eventually, you know, good things come of it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's pretty big for me. And, and actually the milestones are really good to check in with because I found that in looking back, I recognize, wow, I've come a really long way, but like on an average day, it really doesn't seem to me like I've done very much until I take a moment and look back. And, um, I actually read a quote, um, just the other day, it was something like, if you're going to look back, um, look back at how far you've come, only look back at how far you've come. That's really the only good, good reason or to learn a lesson. Mm -hmm. But other than that, there's really not much of a point. Um, and I'd probably butcher the quote, but that, that idea. And I think that's true, you know, like, cause one, one thing I found is my writing today is it, you know, it seems very, it's very normal to me, but you know, when I started, had I known I would be here, um, I'd probably be really happy with myself, but it's weird because it's, uh, one thing I do find it's hard to always appreciate the value of what I'm doing every day. Mm-hmm. Just like this podcast, this is our 60th, Yeah, you know, and you, you, you know, you forget like, um, and every once in a while I, I like to turn on our first podcast and just listen to it a little bit. And although there are some decent stuff in there, <laughs> we've, we've come a long way over 60 yeah. podcasts, you know? And so, um, you know, and this is just normal, right? And and it's not, uh, but I think if, you know, you keep it anything, things start to become pretty good. So that's kind of been my little milestone for the week, I suppose. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's just using these muscles and, and yeah, it's, it's really extraordinary to think like, 
That like that really is a, in, extraordinary that you've written for every single day for four years. Yeah. Like it's thanks. Like it, it, it really is. I don't, I don't know anybody who could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even say that. I know I haven't written every day for four years. You know, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> you know what I found too, is, uh, and uh, I reflected, I put a poster on Facebook and it's amazing how actually how much of my friend community, even people that I don't know too well have just kind of reached out to say congratulations and good for you. And, um, you know, have just had such positive support and, um, you know, people have told me that it's inspiring them and stuff. And I think, wow, that's really wonderful because, you know, I, um, I find that one thing that I've been working on doing just in my own personal life is just telling people what's going on, you know, like, and not from a place of like, Hey, look at how great I am. Like even telling people when I'm struggling, just, just saying, Hey, like, and especially my friends and saying, Hey, this is what's going on right now. And I've found that across the board, people appreciate it, you know? And, um, you know, I, I actually had a post a little while back about, uh, some of the struggles that I had over this last few years too. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people reach out and they were, you know, I think even more people because, and people said it was so refreshing to hear someone actually like talk about what's really going on because everyone on social media and Facebook is always talking about how great everything is, how they booked this new role. They did this new thing. They did this, this, this. And I think, you know, um, there's lots of, uh, you know, there's lots of blogs and articles talking about how, you know, don't, compare your life to the Facebook fantasy, you know, because it's not reality because the, what people present to the world is not really what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I, what I really found when in this milestone looking back was, you know, and tribute, tribute to you for being around through a lot of my times, but I went through (laughs) some really, really hard times where I was like, you know, really hard times. I was like really depressed for a little while during that period. And I was, you know, I was really like certain things I had built had fallen apart. Um, friendships that were really close at one time or, you know, uh, not even in, in my social circle anymore, uh, things like that and, and real changes, you know, and, um, that, that's the true Testament, you know, like writing in those times was really like making it through and writing then, like now I believe I can write at any time. It really doesn't matter. I mean, I was even at that Pemberton music festival, we stayed up all night and at like 4am I'm like, I just stopped and I went aside for half an hour and I wrote (laughs) because I just made a commitment. No matter what I'm going to, I'm going to always carve out that time. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of one of those things now where it's become like, this is my, this is my time. This is time for me where I, where, you know, I do it that way. And I think, um, it doesn't really matter what anybody does, but I think, you know, I mean, you could just sit and watch TV every day for half an hour, but if you do it for you, I think that's where the real most important thing comes out, you know, because yeah, it's making, it's making it a conscious effort of us. And I think at this point, like writing is, it's, it's a thing that you value doing, Mm -hmm. you know, it's beyond just, uh, some concept of like, Oh, this is something that I've got to do. Like if I want to be a writer, or whatever. It's just like, no, like you've actually, you found a value in doing it for yourself. Like that's personal. That has nothing to do with any 
sort of pressure or, you know, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe you do feel a certain kind of pressure, but I don't, I don't get that sense that like, if you do have any pressure, it's, it's just all your own <laughs> at this point in time. I mean, for over four years, I mean, it, that's no, if I was doing it for the result of getting somewhere, I, I probably would have given up. I mean, cause there was points where things seemed really hopeless. Things seemed pointless. Nothing was working. So there's, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's really hard to write <clears throat> if you're going for a result and, and the results seem like they'll never happen no matter what you do. And if they seem so far away, it's tough too. I, I actually found that for me, I, I connected a lot to writing because, um, actually the most important project, which I haven't <clears throat> even made a dollar from, and no one's ever seen and I don't know if anyone ever will see, and I don't know if I'll ever make a dollar from it, is this novel that I'm working on. And um, it's the most important and valuable thing to me of all, because it's really mine, you know what I mean? And, and, and I look at it like, you know, I might write this novel, and I might never share it. And that's okay, because it's not even about that. I probably will, but, um, you know, the thing that I thought would be the biggest deal was becoming like a contracted paid screenwriter. I thought that would be the big reward, you know, and, and I found that over the last four years, that really is not the big reward. The big reward is actually, um, so not that like that it's the opposite. And, and when I started this endeavor, I'd say it was very much more about, I wanted to be a great writer so I could succeed in the external world. But now I find that I want to be a great writer because I want to be able for me to be able to communicate a story that, that is, is really deep and inside. And I know that sounds like, and I say it out loud, it almost sounds silly and cliche because at the time I remember thinking it was almost that way, but it really is. It's like writing to me is like a way of figuring out how to communicate better. And I think that's why this podcast was kind of a natural step because, you know, it started out of us writing and then we would talk about it. And I think, um, I think really if I go deep down, it's not even about writing. It's about my real visceral, um, desire to communicate and that's it. And so like, you know, um, I think writing has become just a form of, of communicating, you know? And, um, yeah. And if that communication is very oftentimes just for yourself. Yeah. Just to myself. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, um, I, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's a, it's, it's an interesting journey. I, I, I think there's going to probably be a lot more discoveries that come along as I continue on with the, the process of all this. I don't know if that's, you know, I, I still see myself kind of in a, uh, like on a journey with it. I don't think that there's a result. And I think that that's the big lesson I'm learning through doing something this long is that, Initially, I said, I'll do it for five years. And then at five years, I'll reevaluate and see if I want to do it longer. But now that I'm four years in, I can say that even making five years, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like four years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. It's really, I think, really good as being able to set an example for other people. Hey, buddy. It's my cat. Um, it's a, it's a good, it's a good thing for, for setting example, but, um, there's no end, there's no end goal. Like at five years, nothing magical is going to happen. It's like, I'm going to, there's going to be another number, um, you know, to, to the, that I add and tack on. But I mean, it's not like 
when you get to five years, all of a sudden, all your dreams are going to come true. It doesn't work that way, right? I mean, who knows how long it's going to take for the, or if it will, if I could write for my lifetime or twice my lifetime, yeah. that'll ever work out. It doesn't, that doesn't really matter, right? But what ends up happening, I think, is when, well, at least what I found is in doing something long enough, it's, it's detached me from the result because there really is no end goal. That's why I don't believe I'll stop at five years because five years is just a way to keep track of a thing I'm already going to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's, you know, plans change, Yeah. right? Like you, you set out to do these things, but plan, like nothing ever goes according to plan. Not never, never perfectly. And, and I mean, almost always for good, I think. I mean, ultimately, you know, the, the, the challenges that we, we come up against, they, they just are, they just redirect us, right. Or they just give us a better focus on, or a better concept of what it is that we're trying to do. But yeah, I mean, if it was, I mean, the thing is, is that if you reach five years and it was like, well, you know, I didn't, do like, uh, none of my, my scripts was turned into like a big, you know, blockbuster. Does that mean that those were five years wasted? Like that's ridiculous. Or if, if it was all resting on that kind of success, then, I mean, it's really, it was really kind of a ridiculous endeavor to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you do well, like, why would you do it? Yeah. Why would you do that for five years <laughs> if it was all resting on, on this, some, some sort of accomplishment like that. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but I mean, that's five years of your life, mm-hmm. you know, that's, and for one event that would last for what, like a blip. So you've totally, got to, and through this, the process, I mean, you, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's interesting what happens when you really engage with, with your, with a craft, of some kind, you know, like whatever it is that you do, or if you're thinking about doing that, like if you really give it a shot and give it some time, uh, the places it, it will lead you, you know, like it's almost has a bit of a life of its own. Yeah. You know, you begin on doing this thing and maybe you have some ideas of where you would like it to go and maybe it goes somewhere in that direction. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it takes you in a completely different one. Um, but there's something almost living about just it, working with some sort of an artistic craft. Yeah. Like it's, it, it just, it teaches you things. It shows you things that it's hard to put into words what they are, but they do have sort of a life of their own and you almost in some ways get kind of absorbed into it and it kind of tells you where to go mm-hmm. or, and what to do. Well, you know, it's interesting because when I started <clears throat> writing a, a year later, I, I began, or roughly, I began reading every day too. I've read for 900 and something days in a row now as well, um, for half an hour at least every day. And, and the reason why I picked up writing or reading as well, in addition, was because, um, I mean, I think writing started initially because I just wanted to be a really good writer. You know, I just, so I figured I'd work at that. Um, but then um, <clears throat> I started to realize that the basically, like, if there was two things you were going to do every single day for the rest of your life, across the board, what would probably be the most two valuable things? And I thought, you know, 
it's reading and writing. And the reason why is that everything in our entire culture is based on what has been written and what has been read. I mean, um, you know, if you look at like our entire history, everything is all documented through the word. Um, and so I thought, you know, well, if there's two things to be an expert at, those are probably two things that are, you know, no matter what, how are they ever going to fail me? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I might not know what they're going to add up to or what they'll do, but, um, you know, I've learned, uh, I mean, obviously I was already doing screenwriting, but I was doing screenwriting and then I started to pick up, uh, you know, I was doing journal writing too, but then I started to pick up novel writing. I started to pick up, uh, book writing, started to pick up copywriting. Um, I started, you know, pick up legal writing. You know, I actually had someone, I put together a legal contract. I'm not a lawyer, but I put together a legal contract and someone, um, uh, you know, actually it was, it was for kind of a, case or scenario a few years back. And someone said to me, I was like, wow, like this is, this is really impressive. And, um, I think what ends up happening is when you work on your writing and you're reading that much, you start to like, at least what I found is, is my brain has started to evolve in a way where I can communicate things on to different people in different ways. You know, there's like copywriting is an art, you know, and, uh, copywriting is all about, you know, how do I, how do I, through the written word, connect to you and enroll you in a message that will like get you to basically like buy something, go for something, do something, make a move on something Mm -hmm. right now. You know what I mean? And I'm not the best copywriter by any means, but to even have that ability, then legal writing, how do you like become so thorough and so specific about, you know, the intricacies and details of something that you're covering. Now I'm not saying I'm an expert at any of this, these things, but the awareness of it has been, um, you know, has been pretty cool. And I mean, you know, you could look at it and go, well, what results are that getting you in the world? I don't know. You know, some of this stuff might not be quantifiable, but if it was all about what was quantifiable, I don't know. I mean, I think that's what's, that's what set me back before in my past is that I couldn't quantify doing the thing. So then I stopped doing the thing, Mm. you know, but it's like, I think if we do our life by trying to quantify everything, we don't do the things we love and we don't, you know, we find excuses to like talk ourselves out of it. I mean, just think about acting, right? You and I both spent tons of time acting. Acting has served me in so many ways outside of acting, you know, being a public speaker, being able to do this podcast, being able to interview guests, being able to do interviews myself, um, you know, uh, being social, you know, dating, making friends. It's given me so many, uh, valuable things because I've built, uh, emotional depth and, you know, and, and also it's helped me in other areas like writing and directing and whatever. So, I mean, I just think, you know, the thing we're doing, we don't always know how it's going to help us, but if we care about it and it's interesting, I think we might as well just go and do it, Yeah. you know, and not worry about what is it all going to add up to and quantify to. I think that's part of the challenge, you know, like, um, you know, and I, uh, you know, I think that there's, I did a personal growth course for a while and it's all about quantification. You know, a lot of it's about quantification. And I think that that's really good. And I think that's important and we need to have that. But I think if you make it only quantification, you lose the art, you know, and that's yeah. another side of this podcast. We don't always talk about, we talk about industry and we talk about artistry, but industry is trying to make things quantifiable. It's trying to make yeah. it a science, but artistry is like, um, it's, it's about 
venturing into the unknown where there's so many variables that there is no science because we're so out outside of our our realm when we're being artists like like when you meet someone who's like a like like I want to just I don't know if this is the best qualifier but like a real artist someone who thinks so far outside the box that it to most of us we're like whoa how are you even trying this stuff It, it almost doesn't even make sense but when someone's daring, there's nothing really quantifiable anymore out there because we've never even ventured into it. We never practiced it. But I think um, industry tends to want to do things more safe. It wants to do things we've already practiced, we've already done. So I think that, um, you know, this uh, doing the writing, the, there's the part of it that's quantifiable, but there's this other part of it that's like, who knows where this is leading? Well, you know, it's, it's that whole, uh, you know, it's been used in so many different types of lecture lectures and, and to explain so many different things, but it's, you know, that whole metaphor of the iceberg, you know, like it's, it's, there's so much that goes into it. You know, there's so much that is unseen for like a writer who, you know, you see the the iceberg and that was this, you know, whatever project, whatever movie or, or whatever got produced into something or that book that got, you know, published and made, the New York Times bestseller. Well, underneath that one New York Times bestseller was a bunch of, you know, second and third drafts of stuff that nobody ever saw and nobody ever will see. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's, it's, you know, it, it, we, we are so kind of crazy about everything having to be quantifiable. Like what you're saying. I like what, what you're getting into on this. Cause it's like, there's not, it's not that, that, there's no value. I mean, it's, it's good to have things that are quantifiable. It, it means that, that there is something that you've done that has, has connected, that has landed in some way. Um, but that's, that's not the end all be all of, of it at all of, of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just, there's so much, there, there's so much to be learned from all of that stuff is that isn't seen and, and arguably like with the whole iceberg thing that would never be sitting up there. That one piece would never be up there if it weren't for all the things that all this massive structure that was underneath it. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just wouldn't be there. Well, and there's, um, you know, anything that's quantifiable in art, I think is, is, is very much like an iceberg. You know, um, we quantify the, the top of the iceberg, you know, how much of the iceberg sticks out of the water and we go, Oh, it's so impressive. It's so big. But if it's really big on top, it tends to be way bigger underneath the water and the stuff we don't see. Um, and, and you actually recommended, um, me making sure I watch this movie, which is Trumbo, which I thought would be actually a good thing to mention in this podcast. But he, um, from that, from that, uh, movie, at least from what I understand, I mean, he had this whole well of life experience that he was calling on. And I think why he was such a great writer is because, he had these real life experiences. And so they would refer to movies that he had written and they would show these scenes. And because you understood his story, you started to understand, oh, okay, well, that's like, that's how he could call upon the depth of that idea. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's how, that's why it has such a deep, um, profound impact. But if someone tried to do that in a quantifiable way, they go, oh, well, you know, I've looked at his movies, I've broken them down in a very quantifiable way. And he, you know, he, 
he went into personal depth there and he did this there and they tried to, it's a very superficial thing because even if that was the case, I feel like, like, uh, you know, with art, there's depth and depth and, and art is kind of the stuff that you don't always see. Industry is yeah. more the stuff you do see, but I think artistry is the stuff you don't see. Like, you know, um, Hollywood loves to sell the overnight success. They love to be like, Oh, you know, this person just showed up or whatever. Meanwhile, you find out about their history and they've been in the industry for like 10, 20, 15, it doesn't matter yeah. years, right. Or more 30 or 40. And all of a sudden, you know, it seems like they came out of nowhere, but all the artistry, all the work they did, you know, that's stuff that no one ever sees. And if they did it so everyone could see it, then I think that they are shooting themselves in the foot because, you know, like that's the thing is like, whether you, whether your iceberg seems really big on top, what really matters for us, I think is about as an artist is, is we're building this thing that the world never needs to see. Yeah. And if, if we ever do show ourselves, it will only be because what we built underneath was so amazing that, um, the little bit that we show can kind of shine somewhere. You know? Yeah. 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 And it has something, yeah. Like all underneath it. I mean, if everything that, that you do, and this is for me, the, the way I see it, the other angle on it too, is, is what that sort of does to your mind. If you are in a place where it's like everything you do has to be quantified somehow, like it has to have some sort of a result that they can see. Um, that is, you know, I don't know, has received some sort of like large recognition outside, outside of you. When, once you're there, like the amount of pressure that you've now put on yourself, I mean, I, to me, for me, that's paralyzing. Yeah. You know, to be like, well, this has to be, this has to be like this. And, you know, this is something that I've, I've recently realized that I, I do struggle with. Like I have this idea of what something has to be, you know, and like, and it has to be this, this incredible thing. And mean, in the meantime, all it's doing is, is it, it's slowing me down from, and, and just creating more apprehension, creating more doubt in myself and in what I'm doing, because I have this massive expectation or, or desire of, of what will make it great, which I don't even know what really will make it great. Yeah. You know, I, I have no real concept of what will make it great. Um, and none of us do. I mean, we yeah. think we do. And, 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 uh, you know, and I think that's the trick, you know, I think that's how we trick ourselves is to ever think that we know what makes something really great, you know? Um, and, um, you know, you see this in all sorts of areas. I mean, you see it in like, you see it in dating, you know, like where it's like, um, uh, <laughs> I remember this guy in, in college who, um, he was like, I don't understand why the girls aren't into me. He's like, I got a car. He's like, I take care of myself. I dress nice, you know, all this stuff. He did all the things that a guy's supposed to do to be appealing, but it's like, it's superficial, you know, it's not, it's not genuine. There's meanwhile, you know, you have a guy who kind of dressed a little bit like of a, like a bum, but he's kind of funny, but he kind of just does his thing and he's super genuine and authentic. And, and, you know, he ends up being the one that attracts, you know, and, um, same in the reverse with, you know, with women where it's like, you know, you, you, um, you know, I have friends who like, you know, some of the most 
beautiful commercially looking women you know what i mean but yet they can't seem to date anybody they're like always single and they're always having trouble meanwhile you have another girl who you know she's not going to be on any magazine covers but she's in a great relationship and she's never really had much trouble meeting a great guy and so you know i think what ends up happening is there's there's what we've been presented in the world you know like And uh, we've been presented, oh, you need to have your body look this way. You need to do these things, look this way, dress this way, drive this thing, have this lifestyle. And then if you do that, you will get what this, this promise, you'll get what you want. And it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And, and, um, you know, in certain ways, I think we get, sometimes we get, uh, it, it opens some doors and we get some immediate results, but ultimately it doesn't get us what we want. And I think, um, there's value to playing the game. But I think it also is misleading because, uh, you know, um, there is, and this is a, this is a dark thing. Um, but I don't know if you remember, there was a guy who was, uh, he was in Los Angeles and he went on a killing spree and he put this video up about how he's like, I don't know why no women like me. I drive a nice car. I, I have money. I do all this stuff. And, you know, it's terrible what he did that he felt like he needed to take it back out on the world. But that was a young man who clearly bought in to, um, you know, to what was being sold to the idea that if you just do everything right, you'll have what you want. And, you know, and he, he did that and had that or whatever, and he couldn't understand it didn't, it didn't relate because I think at the end of the day, what we, what we all want, but we're not really talking about is we want authenticity. We want depth. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's something about someone who has lived life that is more, um, is more powerful than someone who just like read about it or did all the right things, you know? And I really think that you can pick this up from people because, um, you know, I know, for example, um, when someone looks at you and they're attracted to you, you pick that up, you know? And I know this with myself when I'm really genuinely attracted to someone, I, I can see them seeing it. You know what I mean? And when I'm not, I I've also had people kind of like, I've, I've been dating someone and been like, well, you know, I've kind of lost attraction. I've lost that level of attraction and they can pick it up. And then there's kind of like, I want to be like, no, I'm still attracted, but I'm, but I'm not. And you know, there's a, there's, I think there's a, we, we're picking things up from each other on levels that we don't even know. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that authenticity doesn't really lie. You know, and so that's why people, I think we have instincts about things that are true before we even have verified it, you know, and I think art is a lot like that, you know, um, you know, uh, these things that we, we do, you, you, you can't just quantify it and, and, and copy paste, you know, it yeah. has to come from some type of internal thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's this whole thing, you know, it's like you can try and objectively break something down as much as possible. But I mean, it doesn't change the fact that there's, there's the, uh, there's always a duality. There's always the flip side of it. It's like, yeah, but there's a whole subjective side to our existence, mm -hmm. you know, that it's just like, you know, you can, you can measure it all you want to. And, and you can, you know, tie this to, to this physiological response to this thing or, or whatever, like you can, you know, there's all these sorts of objective things in which we can, we can look at something, but at the end of the day, there's, 
everyone still has their own personal experience of something Mm -hmm. that completely could completely fly in the face of the objective reasoning for something. Yeah. Right. Like in, in art, like we've, we've talked about this, like you could have, you could have a script that is technically and structurally exactly on point with like the pretty much the, all of the most successful films that have been made in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, it does all of those things Mm -hmm. and it would be terrible. Yeah. You know, it could be absolutely terrible. Well, and you know, Um, there's a, and, and I think part of the reason why that is, is because we also have this, we also have skewed values when we, when we create stuff artificially. Like what I mean is that you, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of take this away from movies for a, for a second. Yeah. For example, we have skewed ideas of what we think is attractive. So for example, a woman might get an injection into her lips thinking that if her lips are bigger, she'll be more attractive just like a man. And this happens with guys where they'll work their chest over and over and over. Meanwhile, ignoring their legs and ignoring their abs and ignoring other things because they think a big barreled chest is attractive. Right. And we get obsessive sometimes about this thing that we've been sold that we think is what makes us attractive. And, you know, across the board, it tends to be, and and, and this is not always for everybody, but it tends to be that that people like symmetry. They like balance. They like, um, you know, (laughs) like for a guy, they tend, women will tend to say on the average, statistically, they like an athletic guy more than a super bulky muscular guy. Yet, you know, we will be kind of projected with this idea. Same with the whole idea that, um, you know, uh, we get, we get just basically get skewed values. So in a, in a movie, for example, where does this show up? Well, it shows up in like, oh, well, we need to have more action scenes or more emotional scenes. We need to see the actors more emotional. Missing the point that actually it's not about the action sequence or the emotional scene. It's about what effect the scene has on the audience. Yeah. Because, you know, nothing could be happening in the scene, theoretically. Just two people, there staring at each other. But if it has meaning and relevance to us and we feel something that matters way more than if the, the actors are feeling something or doing something. So, so I think what happens is, um, you know, there's, that's where depth comes in. You know what I mean? Like, like that movie drive, we've talked about this before. Remember that Mm -hmm. scene where they're just staring at each other in the apartment? It's kind of weird. Yeah. But people who get what's kind of going on, like, go, that was something. You know what I mean? Just like the beginning of that movie when they're in the car, nothing's really being said by him but they, they kind of get the depth and nothing really needs to happen because there's, there's something else going on. And that's, that's kind of the unquantifiable part of it. And that's the part that's, that's, you know, what I think separates us as humans from robots and stuff. It's like, we, we have this internal world going on, you Mm -hmm. know, and to try to quantify that and understand it. I mean, you know, Meisner, (laughs) (laughs) Meisner negates all that shit, right? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. I mean, so, so I think what happens is, you know, like you, you see actors like this come into your school all the time, I'm sure where they got an idea for the scene and they're going to do their thing, you know? And so they've quantified, I'm going to cry here. I'm going to get angry here. I'm going to do this thing here, or I don't even know how I'm going to feel, but I'm going to do this action, that action, whatever. And they got it all blocked out in their heads and they have this expectation of how it's going to go. And they quantified it. 
and they worked it out in their minds and they go, this is a great way to do the scene. And then, you know, if you really honestly do Meisner and you're in the moment and you're in life, you start to realize that nothing goes to that plan because that plan's bullshit because things are in life. Don't, don't really work that way. And the reason is, is because none of us know everything. Maybe if we knew everything, we could start to quantify it. But I think art wouldn't exist if we knew everything. No, it, it, and I mean, I think, you know, I, some people will disagree with me in the way that I like to train actors. I know a lot of people will disagree with me. There's certain things that I like to do that, you know, there's teachers who'd be like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's like, that's, that's disgusting. That's blasphemy. You can't, you can't just disregard this or that or whatever. But I mean, for me, like what, what I'm always interested in with actors and actors as artists, um, I don't know why I said that <laughs> with such determination. Um, but it's just like, you know, it's, it's far more interesting, far more engaging and far more honest when you come in from a place of not knowing. Right. You know, that doesn't mean that you haven't done a certain level of work. You haven't spent some time with this person who you're going to be, you know, embodying, you know, in, in, with these words, with these, these ideas that are coming out through them. Right. Yeah. But that, you know, the, you trying to, to control how you think that idea is best going to come out is just going to be a massively contrived, um, presentation of something as opposed to being like, okay, I have what I have, you know, what, what I believe I understand about this person that I'm connected to, you know, that's, that's the big part of that as well is it's that, you know, you can look at this whole objective subjective thing with acting as well. You know, it's like you can objectively create a performance, Mm -hmm. but like it's, you know, it will only go so far, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it will, it might have a lot of the elements that you think are associated with a good performance, but for some reason an audience just isn't connected to it or, and, the, the actor themselves, the performer isn't even really connected to it. It's like, well, yeah, it's because it was just a completely objective thing that you, you really actually don't have a real sort of connection to it. And the idea is once you have that connection and this understanding and you've now you can walk in to whatever the circumstance is and it's somewhat of an experiment. It's still, you're, still in the middle of the process, even when you are in front of an audience or Mm -hmm. in front of a camera, you are still in the process because you still don't know what this is, right? You still don't know the entire truth of everything that is going on here. And only by not trying to control and manipulate what you think is supposed to happen here. If when you can drop all of that crap and really just be present with that understanding, you will actually open yourself up to what, what the truth is of what's happening. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think it's, it's like that with everything. I mean, you know, I think that's even like that with just a conversation between two people. I think if you're waiting, if you're, if someone's talking and you're waiting to say your part, that you're, you're, you're kind of contrived, you know, you're disconnected, right? Whereas, um, 
if you listen to understand and that's it, you know, if you come from that place and whatever you will say will come out after you understand, then the conversation has a more organic um, flow and a possibility to go a lot deeper. Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, the, the best conversations that I, I tend to have with people are when I'm talking to someone and instead of them trying to have something to say and add to the conversation, they want to understand and contribute. And I think that, um, you know, I, I'm not perfect with it all the time. Sometimes I get caught in the, Oh, I have this thing to say, but I really try to look at, I want to understand and how do I contribute? Because, you know, then, then I can kind of participate at the same time. I don't think it's wrong to direct a conversation to say, you know, I have this thing that I'd like to add into this. I'd like to, I'd like to implement and bring into this conversation, but to know that if I do that, that I'm controlling it a little bit, that I'm, I'm taking us a little bit outside of this topic that we were on and I'm pushing in a direction that I'm interested in, which is okay because that can be kind of a contribution, but well, yeah, I mean, I, there, there is, there is a value to that. Absolutely. Like even as you were, you were saying, everything, <laughs> I was just like, you, 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 what you were saying gave me a, a, a thought right. on, on this whole thing about listening and, and what it is to really listen to somebody and engage in conversation with somebody and, you know, even in performance. Um, and it, it's just interesting that to me, I'm like, I'd never really thought about this before, but this whole idea of planning what you're going to say before you even, even say it. Like for the most part, you know, I, I always try not to interrupt anybody. You know, it's one of those things that it drives me crazy when somebody is like, just interrupts, not, not even me, yeah. but like someone, when, yeah. so, just anybody else. I'm just yeah. like, would you seriously, <laughs> like if you got something to add to it, just like note, like yeah. keep, take a note to yourself and, but keep listening. Right. Right. Cause you don't know what might continue to come out because like if something that someone said gave you an idea already, there might be more to come. Like there might be more to learn from and, and to experience from listening to this person in front of you. Yeah. I mean, there's always something to learn and experience from the person that's right in front of you if you're paying attention. Right. But so often we're, we're planning what's going to happen next and what I'm going to say next. And next thing you know, it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. My dog, uh, you know, it's, it's like, Oh what? yeah. And it's gone off the rails and it's not even connected to the conversation. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I sorry, I don't, I don't, go ahead. I don't want to shut you down. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. But yeah, I want, uh, there, the thought that had, had popped up to me here from what you were saying was that it's all actually kind of a defense. It's all sort of somewhat of a fear mechanism, which is what I'm understanding this whole thing about when we're not listening. Um, and planning the next thing to say. I mean, it really, it really reeks of insecurity Mm. because you're really just trying to control how you look to somebody, how you're presenting yourself to somebody and whether they're going to judge you for it, you know, and does that make sense? Like it's, it's a, it's a defense of sorts. I think in, I think in definitely in some cases that that is the case. I mean, I think, um, uh, being, you know, like if you feel that you, you know, and I think there's all sorts of things that are going on for us, right? Like if we feel like we're scared, we're going to look like an idiot or something. We're scared. We're going to look dumb. I, I've had people, um, have conversations with me and I, I, 
I don't think I'm the most intelligent person in the world and the most knowledgeable or educated, but I've had people tell me like, you know, friends of mine feel like they will, they, they can't contribute or they'll look like an idiot or something, which is clearly going on in the conversation. Cause maybe I'm talking about a concept that they don't really understand. And so I think, um, you know, that there's all sorts of stuff that are going on for people. And so I think there's reasons why we sometimes don't, don't listen because we're thinking about ourselves, you know, and I, I get caught in, in, in my own little bubble too, thinking about myself. I think usually when I'm not listening is because I've transitioned into thinking about myself. And it's funny because, you know, I think about, uh, acting and if anything I've learned about acting is anytime I'm thinking about myself, I'm usually going off the rails. But if I focus on what I'm doing, I focus on like, like what, like what I'm trying to create or what's going on with the other person. If I make things outside of myself and how I look in more important and I put the value on that, everything seems to take care of itself. And so, um, I don't think that we can all just be like, okay, well you're bad if you're thinking about yourself and you're good if you're not. I think it's about us going and just getting into the practice of feeling confident and comfortable enough with ourselves that we start to take the risk of getting our focus off of ourselves and starting to put it out there, you know? And I think the more that you put your focus out there, the less you'll get worried about anything. Um, for example, my mom, uh, there was recently kind of a, I guess there was an accident that happened, um, in a car. And so she has, uh, she's been going through this bit of a fear where when she's driving, if she's next to the edge of a cliff, a cliff, she feels like she'll fall off, even though she's in control of the car and whatever. And, um, for a while she was even feeling more comfortable being the passenger than driving because she was like, I don't trust myself as you know, and, um, she was talking to a therapist and I was talking to her a bit about it. And I kind of pointed out to her, I was like, well, okay. you did kind of an example, but when she was focused on herself, the fear was very present. But when she, when she was focused out on what she was doing and making sure she was doing that, the fear evaporated. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of drew some attention to the point that I think that that's like all of us, you know, when, when I'm focused on myself, you know, like if I'm focused on carrying a plate and it's like, or a bowl of soup and it's like topped up and I'm worried about if I'll spill it, you know, it's like a painful walk, you know, from the kitchen to the table. But like, if I'm just focused on, okay, just step carefully, you know, just get over here, do this, you know, it's almost like it wasn't even a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think what ends up happening is it's, it's all about getting our focus off of ourselves. You know, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, I don't even know how we got into this conversation, but I think it's a good, it's a good venture. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it really, oddly enough, this has been sort of creeping up in some of our past, you know, just these last couple of podcasts. I think so. Yeah. About taking the attention off of yourself. I mean, we've talked about it before. I, we definitely talked about it before. Um, and I know like I'm heavily steeped in that with just the, the work in Meisner that, that I teach, but yeah, I mean, with the more and more I, as I'm, the more I'm learning about this thing called the, you know, the artistic and creative process, the more I'm realizing is that it just has so little to do with you (laughs) Yeah, in many ways. Like it's just, 
because when you are focused on yourself and, and how am I doing and whatever, while you're doing it, you're not doing it. No, (laughs) you're not involved with it for whatever reason. You know, you're just, I, I don't know what you're doing exactly, but it's, it's not, it's not art per se. I mean, it's, well, maybe it is. It, maybe it is. I mean, sometimes maybe the, maybe the struggle is part of it. Right. But it's so often when it's like you, when, when you're creating and it feels like absolutely effortless, it's like, it's like things go so completely quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in those moments, like everything just sort of melts away and disappears. Yeah. And, and your focus is so on. And I think that's one of the things I've, I've loved about acting always is that it was, you know, there's those, those nerves that, that you have, you know, before you step out, you know, you've got like in front of your audience and then within a few moments, it's like it, it all just disappears. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, all of a sudden there's no camera crew there. There's no audience sitting out, <laughs> sitting out beyond the stage. Like it's just the, the focus just become so high. And, you know, there's brief moments where in the back of your head, you're like, Oh yeah, right. There's, there's people out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's always when it feels the most, when it feels the most effortless, it's, I, and I feel like I'm not doing anything at all. The attention is almost never on myself when it's painful, you know, when it really is the, and probably the worst stuff that I've ever done is when I'm, almost like an observer to myself as I'm, yeah, you're as wa- I'm up there watching yourself. Yeah. I'm just like, Oh, how, okay. Wait, uh, I'm going to stand like this <laughs> while I'm listening to them talk or, or I'm going to, I'm going to nod my head or scrunch up my face a little bit, you know, cause of what they're saying is really, really affecting me now. And, um, now how long have I been nodding my head for? I, okay. Stop nodding your head. Stop nodding your head. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and you're just like, where are you? Meanwhile, this person's been talking to you this whole time and you haven't really taken any of it in <laughs> and you're not really creating much of anything. No, at least not much that probably anybody wants to watch. No, you know, um, I love that scene and just it kind of really goes on what you're saying about what am I doing? And he's in Talladega nights in one of his early interviews in the movie. And he's like, what do I do with my hands? And he keeps putting them up into the screen it's so funny, but he just like, what do I do with my hands? And he keeps doing these stupid things with them. But it's so funny because we all laugh at it because we all get it. But when you're thinking about what you're doing with your hands, you're focused on yourself. When you're not thinking about doing something with your hands, they're in your pockets. They're naturally doing what they do. You know what, what you would naturally do. So you're not worried about where to put them. And I, I think, um, you know, comedy is so great because it really, like great comedians and great comedic writers, they find those things about ourselves that we do that are so silly and they bring them to light. And comedy is a great way, I think, for us to learn about ourselves because most of the stupid stuff we do is really like us focused on ourselves and our ego and like how we appear and pride and all that other stuff. I mean, when, when you're not worried about how you look and you're not worried about what you're doing and, and comparing yourself. Um, and I think, you know, like, at least I find for myself that when I'm not worried about any of that stuff, I'm like, life's kind of 
it's really cool. And you know, um, and, and the thing is, is what's great about film is you, when you really were in the moment and then you watch a scene or at least a moment of a scene, you know, hopefully you have a whole scene or a whole movie <laughs> where you've done it. You know, I think that's what we're all working for, but where you were just really super connected and they use takes where you're super connected and you look back and you're like, Oh, and it's almost like you're seeing it for the first time because when you were in it, or at least when I was in it, I've had this happen a few times where I was really in it and I didn't even know what I was doing, but then I got to see it back on film and it was as though I was watching another person because mm -hmm. at the moment, all that mattered was what I was doing. And if I know what I'm going to do watching a movie ahead of time, now I, I think I have enough wisdom to recognize that it's probably a average performance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, because I was too self-aware. I was too, uh, no, not even self-aware. That's not even the right word. Too self-focused. Yeah. You know? Too yeah. indulgent. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, like I, I, watching myself has never been one of, one of my favorite things to do, uh, <laughs> as an actor. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've actually gotten better at, at doing it. I think probably because my acting got better <laughs> in well, a lot of ways, because uh, a lot of my earlier stuff, I would watch it and I would hate it. And it's because, you know, it's like, I could see the seams. It's like, I could see the stitching, you yeah. know, I could like, I, I could see, I could see myself playing objective. You know, I could see myself playing stakes. I could see myself playing like, like the technical parts of, of acting. Right. I could see myself playing the objective shit. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, what, what was I doing? It's like, yeah, I was just thinking about what I was doing the yeah. whole time as opposed to just being instead of you're thinking about what you're doing instead of doing it. Yeah. And being connected to it. Yeah. Right. And just being connected to what was going on. Right? right. And it was just, you know, it was because I just distrusted myself. It was like, I, I felt like, okay, well, if I execute all of these tactics and whatever that I've learned, then that, that will make me, that will be a good performance. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, it's, it's not a great performance. Right. Well, you um, know, Oh, sorry. I didn't yeah, no. That. And it's just, a, and as I've done some stuff where I've, I've slowly, you know, it's like, let, let that stuff go. And I've watched, I'm like, Oh, you know what? I actually didn't mind that. Yeah. I actually didn't mind watching myself doing that because I, I had, I was connected to something in there and, and there was some authenticity in it and it was not, you know, it, it sort of had, it had some life to it. Right. Which is, I mean, what, you're supposed to do as an actor. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Um, you know, what I wanted to comment on that too, is that I've also had the opposite experience where I was really connected and I watched it and it was uncomfortable to watch it later because I was actually being really truthful and vulnerable. Mm. And it's not something that I have been okay. With. For example, you know, I've had people say to me, they really like the way I laugh but I also have, you know, I have a unique laugh in certain ways. And sometimes I really don't like it because I hear my mom or I hear my dad in my laugh and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, but it's not that I don't love my mom and my dad, but I'm just like, Oh, you know, like, like I do that, but it was like genuine, you know? And even sometimes like, uh, every once in a while, you know, I'll review a part of our podcast, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I'll hear myself talk and I'll be like surprised because 
I can tell that it was truthful, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, like, you know, that's, that's how I am, you know? And, and I think that, um, you know, my challenge with, on the reverse is that I also, I also want to have a view of myself that I'm a certain way. I want to be like, oh, I'm a really cool guy that does everything right. And he's suave and I'm not clumsy or a klutz. Yeah. Or I don't make mistakes. And meanwhile, like just the other day I went out to dinner with my dad and I dumped a beer on his lap. You know, what I mean? <laughs> And it's like, but that, the thing is, is that like, um, we laughed about it and he's like, he was like, Oh yeah, I was probably, you probably did that. Cause I did something mean to you when you were a kid or something. You know, like when, <laughs> so it was like funny because there's this like kind of, that's more truthfully who I am. You know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I, you know, when I get excited, I use my hands. Uh, when I laugh, you know, sometimes it's quirky, but I think the thing is, is that in a weird way that although it isn't like commercially what everybody tells you or what the media tells you you should be, it's actually kind of what people want, you know? And if they don't want it, then they don't align with your authenticity and that's okay. But I think, um, you know, where I'm, where I'm finding where things are going, at least for me with acting is that as I, and anything I suppose, but as I become more authentic, I find that I'm discovering things about myself that I'm not necessarily comfortable with, which bring up a whole new side of it. Whereas before in my younger years, I think I was very protected. I was very self-focused and I very planned. And so I didn't, I don't necessarily like that acting because I could see the seams. Whereas now, like when I'm pushing to be more vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, vulnerability, you know, the truth comes out and then the truth is something that I haven't owned up to yet, you know? And I, I would imagine that the more self-acceptance and self-awareness and self-love that I have, the more willing I will be to be who I truly am. And that's why I think confidence ultimately comes from authenticity because like arrogance is like pretending to be better, but confidence is I know who I am and I like it and I'm going to own it, you know, but like a lack of confidence is I don't like who I am and I'm scared to own it because if I do, you know, I don't think you'll like who I really am. And that, so it's better to pretend than to be who I really am because, you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of my understanding of it. Yeah, no. And, and then at the end you, and it still prevents you from, from really engaging with the thing you're doing. Right. Yeah. Well, how can you engage with something fully if you're not really fully being you? Yeah. I mean, you're not really grounded in who you are and, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's, and it's, you know, we're talking about this and it's, and it's easier said than done. And so anyways, like to me, learning, like teaching an actor is like learn teaching a person to untrain themselves. Yeah. You know, like to untrain a person from so much of the conditioning that, that we've had. Cause it's interesting because I mean, really in order to authentically portray, you know, this character or this other human being that is full of all of these, like these weird, you know, quirks and, and insecurities and whatever, you kind of have to be very intimate with your own, understand them very well. And in some ways, you know, almost transcended them so that you can, you can see them clearly now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I don't necessarily know where I was going with it, but I mean, it's, 
yeah, it's, it's there, it's really isn't an, an unraveling process that you have to do as an, as an artist. Like you really, I think as artists, you have to, you have to be questioning things like all the time. Yeah. You know, like, like why we do the things we do, you know, like we, we need to contemplate sort of the, like really the big questions and, and what are the, the big truths about that we understand, you know? Well, and also I think just as well, the small truths, the small things, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think that there's, I think that the, you know, I hate to say this, but I, I, at least in film, I think that there is a, a market and an industry for a kind of false artistry, you know, mm-hmm. where it's very kind of procured and like done in a controlled fashion and it doesn't require a lot of depth. Um, as long as it kind of meets the basic standards and there's like kind of hot points to hit, like, okay, well, let's make sure we get someone who's like visibly attractive, you know, um, let's get someone, you know, who basically can, can do these things and then we'll push the scene. So for example, a friend of mine, um, recommended that I watch this television show Gotham, right? Right. Because right now, um, me and, and a team that I'm slowly building, we're going to do kind of a, uh, basically a comic book movie, YouTube channel. That's kind of what things are going. And I think I told you a bit about this offline, but anyway, so I decided to watch and I'm like, right, well, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but first episode, pilot episode, basically you see Bruce Wayne as a kid and you see his parents, um, basically get killed, you know, to set up the whole Bruce Wayne saga story of how he becomes Batman. Right. But this is when he's a kid. So it's way before he actually became Batman. So it kind of gives you that very prequel kind of feel. Right. Um, anyway, uh, the main guy who sits down with them, who plays, uh, what's his name? Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. So Gordon sits down with them, the kid who's right there next to his parents' dead bodies. And he tells them about how he had a loss. And there's just this like lack of emotion. There's just like this lack of depth and like, um, and there's just this kind of, it, it gets the job done, but it has like, it didn't affect me in any way emotionally. It didn't make an impact. It, it was very superficial, mm-hmm. but it got the job done. You know what I mean? And I think that there's a, an industry and a commercial part of the world where it's like, well, if we get the job done, it's fine. And, and because, you know, maybe because it's a comic book type of television show, they go, well, it doesn't really matter. That's not, everyone's here not to have their life changed. They're here because they're already invested yeah. in the, in that type of story. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to point that out that you don't have to be Leonardo DiCaprio or Daniel Day-Lewis or Meryl Streep to have a successful career. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, actors every once in a while will, will show up in a commercial realm where it's not expected of them, but they'll do something spectacular. Mm-hmm. And I think that they end up getting plucked, you know, cause I think that there, there are people out there who are looking for those people who speak who are special, they kind of shine, but I think they're special because they bring something to it that has more underneath the iceberg. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh no, absolutely. And I mean, there, and there's nothing you can never go wrong with, with, I think bringing more mm-hmm. to something like you can, you can be one, not of, showing more bringing, more. but just bringing more yeah. and, and just having much more going on because yeah, I mean, there's a degree to which I think, 
a superficiality in a lot of mediums is, is sometimes kind of celebrated. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of easy. I think to a degree sometimes, you know, and, and that's, that's still just sort of a reflection on us as a culture still, where it's just like, you know, we, we still in some ways want to see something that doesn't really make us feel a whole ton. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. I actually think that there's a lot of, uh, content out there that people don't want to feel a lot about. And, and that's, you know, that's fine. I, I, um, but you're right. I and think that's important for us to know because this podcast is about finding that balance between artistry and industry. And sometimes it's not required. So much artistry is not required. Sometimes it actually, like, if it's not meeting what the industry needs, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but no. it's not meeting what the industry needs. The artistry doesn't matter. But if it's meeting what the industry needs, a little extra artistry is okay. Whereas like, if you take say an Oscar film, what they're probably looking for would I'd assume is like the industry stuff's taken care of. Now they're looking for the depth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I actually had a friend who auditioned for, um, the Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. And he said the emotional demand on the audition that he had to do was, it was extreme. It was intense. You know what they, the connectedness and, and what they wanted. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was, he says much different than, you know, going out for a CW audition. <laughs> I mean, so, and it's not yeah. to say that, that like, I'm not comparing them. They're apples and oranges. The, 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 the thing is, is that we, I think to be fair, at least in the film industry and probably all mediums is to acknowledge that, you know, like for example, Britney Spears was maybe not, um, like it wasn't so much about her singing. Cause you could say arguably at the time, Christina Aguilera was a better singer, but it was more about the commercialism and how they could push it and the image and what that said, you know, mm-hmm. which was more the industry. So, you know, external success, you know, but I would arguably say that Christina Aguilera was, and still is a better singer. Right. And, but I mean, again, then it's, it's a completely subjective thing. There was probably plenty of people who were way bigger Britney fans than they were Christina Aguilera fans. Right. You sure. Know, maybe, and maybe they just preferred and the reverse. They just preferred the sound of Britney Spears voice, even though technically you might say one person was more accomplished. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could argue that all day, but, um, you know, just, just as like, I think that there's still like, there's always going to be a market for authenticity. And I mean, if you are like an actor and you're just a, a gorgeous person, be an artist too. Like you can yeah. still, you can still do that. And I mean, and I've even heard arguments. There's some schools of thought in acting that, um, you know, the actor really shouldn't be, really shouldn't be sort of experiencing like the, like the same emotional journey that, that the character is, that the actor's job is to actually indicate the emotion and the experience. And simply as no, I, I'm not even kidding. There's, I can't remember which it, and it goes back some time. It was like a, it was like a German acting philosophy that actually caught on quite, quite strongly and has actually churned out some really great actors, believe it or not. Um, but I think actors who, who did ultimately take it further, but 
the the philosophy was that to for an actor to really you know do a more sort of the quote unquote method approach of sort of like really putting yourself through the emotional life of a character was basically unnecessary and that in fact it was harmful and that the actor's job was to serve the story that the story was what was the most important thing so don't draw attention to yourself as an actor by like giving this like everything was to make everything clear so gestures were bigger emotions were were larger than life or they were you know they were very they're very much like displayed in a way that wasn't real. Mm. Also, so it's not that emotion wasn't important to the story, but it was there to just push sort of the plot of the story as opposed to, so it, it was a philosophy. Which, I could, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I think, I think in the past there was more extremes, you know, um, people were teaching from a place of more like, you know, like, it's more like over swinging the bat. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, well, we're doing this and actors are drawing attention to themselves. So that's the problem. So don't draw attention to yourself. Like, not that you ever really should, but, and, and then you're not really dealing with the problem or the, the real cause you're dealing with the effect of it. Right. Like, yeah. Um, because I think when you capture, when you capture something that is really, um, that's really real and true. And and this might be opinion, but I, but I do feel that when you capture something that's really true, there's a captivating element to it. And, um, I think what's challenging for actors period is that it's challenging for us to take things that are beyond normal and have them be truly authentic to us. I think that that is our challenge. You know, I think like, Um, I had a friend once explained to me, well, and I think it's in Larry Moss's book too, I'm pretty sure, but about how like there's, there's a natural and there's realistic, you know, and natural is when everything's normal and everything's calm. It's really easy to be, to seem authentic, to seem true because we do this all the time, but being real, I don't know if it's in Larry Moss's book or not, but being real is about can you be truly authentic when the stakes are extremely high in those moments where you experience like maybe a, maybe a few hundred times, maybe in your life, you know, if, if, if even close to that. Mm -hmm. So can you, can you live there for 90 minutes or for an entire play? Can you live at that place when the stakes are so high, which is an experience that, you know, most of us hopefully never really have in many ways. Right. Because, um, you know, the thought of, you know, basically being in the middle of a bank robbery or having someone you love get murdered in front of you or kidnapped or, you know, or having people try to kill you would be horrific thing to have in real life. But an actor needs to take themselves out of their normal existence and find a way to connect to something that is so out of their normal existence, but find the truth in that. And that is really, I think where, where, um, things, that's what we're paid for. You know, that's what actors are really paid for. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's, um, the understanding of how to do that. I, 
I, I really do think it comes from a more internal place than an external place. You know, we, t- we started this talk from like trying to quantify and use science to break it all down, which I think is a very external observation. Mm-hmm. But the internal thing is, you know, if we talk about, say, uh, you did this exercise earlier about the woman on the bench, but let's just say we say, um, you know, um, your, your mother is, you know, she's dying right now. Well, everybody might assume that everyone's telling the same story they're telling, but they're seeing a different mother. They have a different relationship with their mother. They, um, their, their vision of them dying in what way is different. There's all these different things. So, um, we need to connect to our truth of it. And that's what makes, that's a variable that science can't quantify. Yeah. Because for every single person, it's a new variable. And so, um, it's kind of like what ice cream flavor do you want? You know, it is, it's not like, um, it's not like one's really better or worse. It's kind of like, what do you prefer? You know what I mean? So with every actor you throw into, into it, if they're both being as authentically true as they can in that moment, it's not about who's better now. It's just about like what authenticity, which, which person's truth do you want? And I think, um, you know, artists who have gone out and lived a little bit more life, this is maybe just my theory, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I would assume that if you've lived a little bit more life, you've you, you've, you have some more to back up a certain story, you're probably going to have the advantage. Whereas if it's something you've never, like if you've never really let yourself love anybody or care, or if you never felt heartbreak, you never felt hurt. If you don't know what it's like to ever be courageous because you've never done it. You know, if you've never gone out and tried and, and faced your own emotions, you're probably going to have less of a well to pull from. And I think, you know, when you look at someone who's at the top, of any industry, especially with acting, usually, you know, you look at their story and, and they've lived some crazy stuff. You know, they've lived through some stuff that they can call on. And I'm not saying like, I think it's all relative too. like, for example, uh, Clint Eastwood, right? Like, uh, a story about him was, you know, he was in the military or whatever. I don't know. A boat was like two miles offshore, went under or a plane crash or something. And he had to swim like two miles back. Um, and, uh, you know, and he lived through that right now. If you haven't lived through that, I don't think that it means that you can't pull what he could pull. I think it's all relative. Like it's all like what it means to you. But that was a moment you could ask him like, what do you know about survival? And that's what he knows about it. Whereas someone else might know something else about survival. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say one's better or worse because their version of survival might not seem that special, you know, in an an external comparison of stories, but what it meant to them and how it impacted them. And that's really what we're doing as artists. We're calling from the thing and how it impacted us, you know, because if, if our stories really did matter, and I know I'm going on a bit of a rant, but I think it's a good time to do it (laughs) is if our, if our stories really did matter, then it would always be the people who lived the worst, most terrible, harshest existence that would be the best artists and best actors. But that isn't always the case. And I thought a lot about this, um, especially this last week, just about my story and other people's stories. And, you know, I was getting a little bit down about my story in certain areas. And I was like, well, you know, there's other people that have it far worse than I have. And I started to realize that 
it's not about whether someone has it worse or someone has it better because some people have it better technically than I have, but it's all relative. It's all like, what does it mean to us personally? Like, like in my existence, um, my version of being scared might feel the same way as someone who say was in a third world country. It, my version of fear, it's like when it gets down to an emotional level, the story doesn't necessarily inform whether someone was more scared. So like, or whatever, or if someone was being more courageous, it's all relative. So really what we have to do is we just have to pull from our own truth. And I think, um, not making excuses that the events we've lived or whatever means something more. It's just about how much are you doing life and how much are you willing to expose your way of doing life? Yeah. And, and to explore it. I mean, I think is, is the big part of it. I mean, I, I remember, you know, doing, doing sort of preparations as, as an actor, like going really deep into some, into some territories of some emotions that, and some places that I never really been to very much in my own life. Uh, at least not to the places that I was looking to push myself to and being able to actually touch on those experiences. Um, you know, and it was through creating an imaginary circumstance, which is, I mean, the incredible power of the imagination when you really learn how to unlock and tap into that as an actor, like it's, it's extraordinary what you can do with it because I've taken myself into emotions that I like at least deeper into emotions that I've ever really can't, than I can even recall having in my own sort of real life. Yeah. Um, it's completely possible to do that. But I mean, that's, again, it's, there's, there's elements of my own life that are injected into that, right. right. To give me that connection. There are elements of it, even though the circumstances might be completely false, completely, completely imaginary. Um, I I'm still drawing from my own life to, to create sort of an experience and an idea of what might happen to me emotionally and in my body and in my mind. If, something like this were to happen. Right. Right. And, um, and I think that that's important. I mean, there's no, there really is no limitation as an artist as, as to what you can do, you know, and what you can touch, what you can touch on. You brought up an amazing thing, the imagination, which is the ultimate variable that we are not able to quantify. I mean, nothing's ever going to quantify that because the way in which we can do synthesis and and combine these ideas and these images and and amalgamate them and do all these things and the way we relate to each one and each experience is something that is so subjectively different to each person. And I think when it comes to art, that is really what we're, what we're so curious about is, I mean, art is infinite. And the reason why that is, is because every single person, if we truly, um, want to find out about them, their whole world is just absolutely fascinating. And I think what happens is, um, 
Art gives us permission to open up our interest into a lot more people than our small circle. And the reason why I say that is because I think what happens is people get in, say, a relationship and they're so interested in this person. They just want to know everything about this person. They want to, you know, especially if they decide that they, you know, this is the one, (laughs) right? So, and I'm not saying that's great. I think it's a wonderful thing, but we give ourselves permission to find out about some people, but we don't give ourselves permission to find out about others. And I would, I would argue that most of us, and I know because I did this when I was younger, I didn't want to find out about people I disliked. I didn't want to know them. I wanted to cut them out of my life and never think about them again. But I think an artist who's really interested in really expanding their internal world, that, that variable and making themselves into something that is, that is not common, that is unique, is about someone who's so interested in finding out about the people that they don't like, and even the people that don't interest them. Because, you know, it's a fascinating thing. There's um, actually a documentary right now, and I, <clears throat> and after this podcast, I'd strongly suggest anybody to watch it. But it's Tony Robbins, and it's I'm Not Your Guru. It was a documentary made on him. And one of the first stories in it, the stories that people share are really interesting. But one of the first stories, this young woman gets up and she talks about how you know, she wants to eat better and take care of her body. And she's kind of letting herself down because she's not really, you know, eating and it's a cycle and whatever. And she's, she's a, you know, a, a good looking young woman, but you know, whatever, she has more of an ideal she wants to meet for herself. And Tony Robbins basically does this exercise with her, but ultimately just kind of cuts through all that shit. And it's all just about her father and her relationship with her father and this unrequainted love and attention. And you, and he points out that the whole thing about the eating is just a superficial. It's a thing that we, we, we make our problems about this superficial thing. And really it's all about love, right? It's all about this thing underneath. And the thing is, is I was super emotional for me watching it because I was thinking about myself and how I do life and my relationship with my father and really anybody who's really close to me that I love, you know? And I thought, it's so interesting how I try to tell myself this story about needing to be successful and needing to do these things. And really, why do I do any of this stuff? It, and when, and it's kind of interesting because I think when we all get down to it, it's all about, it's all about this love and this perceptual shift of understanding that like, we're all kind of after that. You know what I mean? And our, version of that and our understanding of that and our relationship to our, our self and our, and our connections is really what brings up that variable that nothing can measure. And that's where all art is really born. You know, um, and, and I guess we need to have on the show eventually is Henry J. Ma. We mentioned him before. Oh yeah. Henry. Yeah. But Henry would always say this. And I think it was the most intelligent things anyone's ever said, but we would do these scenes. We do these cold reading scenes and, um, he would say, where's the love? What look for the love, you know? And that's ultimately like, that really is it. Cause if yep. you take a scene and you take the love out, it's just empty. It doesn't have anything, but like, there's no humanity. In exactly. It. Love is the humanity. And that's, that's the thing. Like it's almost like the core thing. And without that thing, it doesn't really matter how you layer it. Yeah. You know, you need that core. And I'm not saying having that core is everything, but without it, there's a vacancy. And I think that's where all of our, 
our true authenticity and everything really comes from is love, you know? Yeah. And Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I'm nearing the, the final stages of like the first draft of, of my book right now. Oh wow. Congrats. And, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's almost there. It's, it's, it's going to be a, like a short book, like, which I wanted it to be. I want it to be just sort of simple, just like, like you can grab into this thing and, and it will sort of continue to like, work through, you know, do its work after you've read it kind of thing. Um, but, and it's been interesting writing this because this is something I wasn't even totally sure how it was going to go. I had this idea and I'm like, I don't know why, but I know this is true. This is, this is authentic to how I think and feel about this. You know, even though there's a degree of, to which I'm like, it's somewhat theoretical. So I've been sort of exploring this within the writing of it, right? Because like, I've got to write this thing with these ideas in a way that nobody has ever done it before. And, and I was getting to this part basically cause it's a book for actors. And, and I was trying to basically, I got to this point where I said, every scene you will ever do, every character you will ever play is about, is about love. Like it is always, always about love and everything else is about the obstacles to it. Hmm. Like everything else is the things, you know, um, Rumi, who is one of the great sort of Sufi poets, you know, like spiritual poets of many years ago. Um, he has this famous quote, you've, people have probably heard, seen this, like get tossed up on their Facebook feed from a friend, <laughs> yeah. there. but it was, um, it was, um, do not seek love, but seek all the barriers you have built against it. Hmm. And I, and I was just like, Whoa, like this is just completely like burning through its way through into this because it's like, it, it completely is all about that. Yeah. It's just like, it's everything has to do with people's desire for love, people's fear for love. And like, basically the fear is like, we're all these obstacles and these things that we've, we've created and, and you know, it's so much of it is not real. So much of it is the stories that we tell ourselves and, and the pasts that we keep with us. Right. And it's just like, you're the one who's doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and how kind of every, every person in every part, because it's, they should link to be the same thing. If you're an actor, (laughs) like doing a performance is the same as like understanding a person like, and, and understanding the truth of what we are. The reason why every part you will ever play is about love is because every life you will ever meet is about love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, right? yeah, it, I mean, it, it is. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> actually just to refer back to this Tony Robbins thing, because it relates to what we're, what you're kind of pointing out there too, is like, he was pointing out that like, you know, everybody doesn't feel good enough everybody goes through these, am I worth it? Am I valuable? Will I, you know, will I ever have or be these things I want? And that's all, that's all about love, you know, because, you know, everything we do, what, why do we work out? Why do we eat well? Why do we try to succeed? Why do we dress the way we dress, spend the money on the things we try to, you know, it's all because we, in some way or another, believe that this is the path to getting the love that we're after, you know? And when, you know, you want to talk about parents, 
It doesn't matter if your parent was abusive, sexual abuser, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, there's this feeling around love that was the problem. And, and I used to think when I was younger as an actor that I needed to get into my pain, that that's how I was going to be emotionally connected. And I've since discovered, and I discovered this a while back, but I discovered that it is all about love or the lack of love. It's something yeah. to do with love. And that's all that matters. You know, we did an exercise in this one, uh, and actually with Matthew Harrison, I did this exercise or maybe it was with Ted. It was actually with Ted Whittle, okay. but you know, they were working together and we were doing a lot of great stuff together in my opinion. And anyway, uh, um, Ted pointed out like, have you ever lost anybody? Cause I was doing a scene and I was telling him about my grandma and how I was like 16 or 17 and she was 69 or whatever. And she, she died young and she's a really important person. And I was kind of like, I felt this disconnect. Right. But then he, he was like, you know, help me focus on like, focus on her hands. Like what her hands look like. And as I started to tie into something that was visceral, that was real, I started to slowly connect to this, the reality of the relationship. And, you know, when I, when I found that ultimately, like the, the, when I got to the love, the feeling of love, like, and I think what happens is loves this thing where I think to survive and to protect ourselves, we disconnect ourselves from the details of it. We disconnect ourselves and we create story around, you know, how it's okay and why it doesn't matter and whatever. But I think, uh, really like as artists, what we need to dig into is things about like things about the, the, the way it affected us and the truth. And I think it all comes in through the details. And, and since then, I, when I'm doing an exercise, I always try to focus on if I want to tap into my emotions, I always look at like, what's a detail, you know, what's something specific. Cause mm-hmm. once, once I find that I connect to that, the story that I built around the whole thing, all the bullshit, cause it's all bullshit goes away. And then I realize, Hey, like, this is what's really going on. Like, for example, uh, just, you know, and, and with my dad, I mean, I look at him and, and so much of it was, you know, he was off working when I was younger and he was, you know, doing a lot of great things, building a business, but he wasn't around so much. So I thought as a young man, I logicked out if I'm just really good at stuff, if I'm good at sports, if I'm good at this, if I'm the best, then he has to notice me. Right? So Meanwhile, I start telling the story about, I love this sport. I want to be the best at it. It's important, you know, and, and really that's not really true. What's really true is that I want to be the best, not because I love it, probably more because I just want to get his attention and I want him to notice me. And so if I really tap into that, you know, the emotions of, you know, this kid that just really wants you know, and, and I think we can all kind of tap into this because there's someone out there that we want their attention from. And if they're not giving it to us and, and, and we can't get it, especially if it's a parent, I mean, there's all sorts of a world tied up in there and it's, it's, it doesn't matter. Like you like I used to try to justify it, say, Oh, he's an asshole. He's not giving me attention or blah, 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 blah. Really. It's none of that. It's all about, I wanted, I wanted love. I wanted to feel a connection. And I didn't know how to give it to myself. I didn't know how to love myself. And even if I can love myself today, 
it doesn't mean that I don't know what it's like to feel lacking in it. And I think everything ultimately just comes out of that, right? And, and how truthfully we can connect to that. And I think when we get to, when we disconnect from it, that's why you get kind of surfacey, surfacey work, you know, because mm-hmm. it's all there. I mean, you know, it's, it's all tied into, it's all tied into that. And, and, uh, you know, a few, and, and actually, um, just my final note on this little rant I went on is in the Tony Robbins thing. He also points out, and uh, you know, I've, it's not the first time I've heard it, but I think he does a really good job of it, but he points out that you could come from a family of neglect, or you could come from a family that gave you a lot of attention and gave you everything. And both have negative effects on you. Because, for example, one person comes from a place of neglect, and they never got their parents love and attention and whatever, and they felt that way. But in, and so they really like worked hard to try and get it in other places where another person came from a family where they're family gave them everything. And it was so easy that they are entitled to it. And when they're not getting it in the world now, they're like, why am I not getting it now? Because in their family, they got it so easy. They never really learned to work for it or appreciate it. So it doesn't matter. It all comes back down to love and either or has effects on us. It's not to say like, it's not to say that just because you had a perfect life, quote unquote, that you're somehow immune to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I mean, there's not really any such thing. No, I mean, there's no, there's no such thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love how this conversation has all sort of unfolded. Yeah. Um, and I think we're, what we're talking about is the unquantifiable part of it. The, the unquantifiable part. Yeah. Like we started with there. I think it's all related because now we've, we've come to this topic of, you know, of, of the love, right? what it ultimately comes down to. And it, it just seems so, it just seems so obvious, which is why it's so overlooked. But I mean, it's like everything that you do as an artist and in your life, like, you know, it's, it's all about love. Like well, here, let me ask you a question. How do you quantify love? I mean, people will have all sorts of reasons like, Oh, well, you, you call me this much, you give me this much attention, you do these nice things for me, you say these nice things to me, you don't, you don't do these things, right? And that, and that's how we've been kind of taught to quantify it. But it's, it's, it's really not something that's really quantifiable. Because like, if you knew that someone loved you with all their heart, and you were the most important person to them, yet they never gave you a compliment, never gave you any attention. They weren't really around, but you knew, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were the love of their life. Then you wouldn't, you might not care so much about all that attention because that attention and all that other stuff isn't about love. It's just a nice, comfortable bonus. But if someone gave you everything, they, they gave you money, they gave you compliments, they gave you time and attention, but you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they didn't give a shit about you that you were just someone that they were, they were manipulating getting something and getting from. something from. It wouldn't matter what they did for you. So yeah. our quantification of love is totally messed up and totally backwards. Completely. Right? And so it all comes back down to our feeling. And I think it begins, it's going to sound a little cliche, but hopefully I think we're starting to prove this point, but it all comes down to like self-acceptance, self-awareness, and with more self-awareness, more self-acceptance. And it's all born. It's, it's an inside game. And then from there, your 
ability to, to connect to other people's plights of it is really what it's about. But I think we are taught that we need to go out in the world and we need to get it, that we are without and we need people to give it to us. At least that's kind of how I interpreted it, that I needed to go out there. I needed to be famous. I needed to find the love of my life. I needed to find friends. I needed to do all these things. And if I did all those things really well, that I would have love in my yeah. life. We put, con- we put conditions yeah. on love. Right. Complete, which you know, if quantifiable bullshit, exactly. And yeah. And it's, and it's like, if, but at at the same time, we, we recognize this whole idea of conditional love is not really being love, but but yet it's, but yet like it's, we, we pursue it in so many ways. Yeah. We pursue conditional love, which is so interesting, even though we recognize that it's totally bullshit. Well, and you know, as someone who's personally been depressed in my life, the hardest thing to do is to love yourself when you're depressed. When you're feeling down, you're like, I'm a failure. I messed up. I don't have people around in my life anymore. I I've made mistakes. I've done this. And you look at all this stuff and you got this story going. I, I did. And to love yourself at that time is really hard. But I found that if I could love myself without anything, you know, and it's, it's, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it, but I did find it. I, that's what pulled me out of it was finding out that it's like, you know what? I'm okay. And regardless of all this stuff, it doesn't make me who I am, you know? And that was, that was a really hard part. I think that, that building that from a place of like, not really having things around me to verify it, these conditional things gave me a certain sense of like, okay, I can, I can do something, you know, and I'll bring it back to the writing. Writing was an expression of self-love for me because, you know, when I, I I would be writing some journal entries where I'd be like, nothing is working in my life. There's not a thing going on. I have nothing to talk about. You know, um, I spent my whole day inside today. I didn't see anybody. I, you know, I feel terrible about myself and I, and I wrote, but the thing is, is that it wasn't for anybody but me. And I think through writing, I started to build this kind of like, you know what? The fact that I cared enough to talk to myself about it and to like, like, like it it sounds weird, but I was like, I'm my own friend in this time, you know? And I feel that I've come back out of that, you know, out of that place. And I think I've been a better friend to other people because now that I know what it's like, I mean, knowing what it's like to be really depressed, I, when I see someone else struggling, I'm like, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I get it. Like, and, and, and you know what, you don't have to force it. You don't have to be anything other than where you're at. Like it's, it's, you don't have to, for me to be okay with you. You know what I mean? Um, same time, you know, like, and that's why, like I spoke this in the last podcast, you know, person I was dating for a bit who was always complaining to me the reason why I felt so emotional about that was because that person was struggling and I didn't see it at the time. And then later I I looked at, I go, well, man, like I wish I was a little bit more connected to their struggle. And I'm not saying like, like I'm not saying I'm going to surround myself with everybody who's struggling and everybody who's complaining all the time, because at a certain point, I think I was being pretty compassionate to the person, but at a certain point, 
you know, I'm not going to be a martyr my whole life. I'm not going to just be a martyr and like, you know, basically try and save everybody from their depression, but I can have compassion to someone who's in depression. And I'm Mm. not saying I was good to be around when I was depressed. You know, I was negative. You know, I had one friend, uh, my friend Trev, who we'd go for breakfast and I would just complain about shit for like an hour. And the, the, the fact that he was just there to like, listen to me and help me through it, like meant a lot. He didn't have to do that. And I'm not saying that he should have, or he owed me that, or he's a better person for, for doing it or not doing it. But he, he understood I was struggling and he was there for me. And you know, what was funny is that he went through a struggle after that. Cause this kind of thing happened with his business, which was pretty devastating. And and we were talking about him, like, and I was there for him. And I think that's what friends do. But like, it's not like, I don't think everybody can take on everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we can try to be there in our best way for each other. But ultimately it wasn't, it wasn't me that helped him and it wasn't him that helped me. Ultimately we have to help ourselves. I know that was a roundabout thing, but, but I think, uh, you know, this whole thing about self-love, it really does come from within and, and this external world. Like, um, I think it's a decision. Like, did it help me probably do it faster? Having friends listen to me complain and bitch and moan. I think so in, in many ways. Yeah. But would I have come through it on my own? Well, maybe, maybe it just would have taken me longer. So did anyone have to listen to me? Were they not a good person if they didn't listen to me? Well, no, I don't think so. But I think, um, you know, ultimately, um, what I was struggling with when I did feel depressed was I just felt a lack of love and it wasn't, and I, and I assumed it was because I felt a lack of love from the outside world, but it's because it was a lack of love for myself from yeah. myself. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Well, I'm going to introduce the beer. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's do this beer and maybe some closing comments and, sure. uh, yeah. So this is a uh, storm brewery. Yes. I think you've got a beer from them before. This, yeah. This one is cream soda. Yeah. And it, I think it's pretty tasty. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely got, yeah, those elements of cream soda, kind of like the little vanilla yeah. hit in there, but it's not like soup. Like it's a little sweeter, but not crazy. Like it's not like a, like a fruit beer or anything like that. It's, it has a real creaminess to it. No. <laughs> and it looks like a, it looks like an ale, um, almost like an, a wheat ale, like a really dark yeah. wheat ale, um, with a bit of a fruity, you know, not fruity, but like a sweetness. Mm-hmm. I, I really like it actually. I, I really enjoy it. Um, but one thing about storm is I was talking to them and their whole thing is about really pushing outside of the norm with the beer. They yeah. want have really pronounced flavors. And I tried a few of their other beers. One was a blueberry, um, or a, uh, was it cucumber blueberry? Um, and yeah, you could really taste the cucumber a little bit, the blueberry. And it was, it was like uh, the beers that they have. And I tried another one was like a chocolate blood orange and very, very specific, unique, like flavors. Um, you know, for me, uh, in my experience of it was like, they're kind of the, the brewery where I'd like to go and try a lot of different beers, maybe not necessarily just stick with one so much, but I think that's kind of their, 
their model where it's like really like you want to try all these. Apparently, they were telling me they have 180 different flavors and infusions they've done. They don't all offer them all at the same yeah. time. But just to give you an idea of the range. And there's this one beer a friend was telling me about Storm, which takes a really long time. They have to freeze it and melt it and do all these crazy things to it. And um, the process makes it into something that's really, really special and rare and expensive. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, I think they're a really cool, cool brewery. Yeah, no, they, they definitely are. I, I had my first foray into there like a few weeks ago or whatever and uh, picked up a beer which we had on the show and it was a basil IPA and it was definitely, you could taste that basil in there, but it was tasty. Like it, it tasted fresh and it was still refreshing. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do lots of really interesting stuff over there. So, you know what I found too, is when I walked in, um, the people who were there and it was packed was everybody was really excited about beer. You know, they were really excited about like, you know, and, 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 and discussions were vibrant. Um, and everybody's trying these different, you know, and every beer has something to talk about, you know, and, and, um, (laughs) you know, it just, it seemed like a real kind of community feel, um, and a real kind of almost like everybody was kind of exploring and adventuring and, um, yeah, the location is interesting. Also, uh, I just wanted to know it's, very, very like homegrown grassroots feel. Like yeah. it's, it's not, it's, let's just say it's not there for the presentation as much as it's there for the, the yeah. atmosphere of homegrown grassroots. And it's, it's unique. Yeah. It's, it's a unique place. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's so cool that, you know, there's a whole community that's there and that's excited about, yeah about what they're doing. And, um, you know what? It's a perfect segue into the closing comments is everyone's still there for the love, <laughs> right? For the love of beer, bringing people together. And, and I think that that's, um, that's the same, same thing with, uh, with, I mean, beer, craft beer. I mean, that is an art. It's cra- craft is in the title and art's not too far behind that usually. And well, you, yeah, you know, I just had a thought, um, about that is, you know, about the love when, when I was feeling depressed, I didn't feel like doing anything. And because I didn't feel a lot of self-love, I didn't feel like a lot of love to express. And I find that with more self-love, there's more love to express. So like, if you're really passionate about something, or when I'm really passionate about something, I find that, and and I feel a lot of like self-love, there's more to express, you know what I mean? And I think that's where creativity really comes from is this kind of like, if you if you're connected to the love, I think that's where everything comes from, you know, but if you're doing it with a lack of love, it's, it's like work, you know, it's hard, right. But it's, it's play when you feel it's fun, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, when, when you feel a lack of love, I mean, you just, you feel empty. You you don't have anything. You feel like you don't have anything to give, Mm -hmm. right. And anything that you do give is just like, you know, it's, it's torture. Mm Mm-hmm you know, or you just feel resentful about having to give, right? It's just, yeah, you feel so depleted. Yeah. 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 But, um, okay. So, well, what, what are your final points on this whole thing? Well, I mean, it's, I, I, I guess it's comes down to this, this whole thing of the, the, you know, the first part of the, the quantifiable thing about, you know, it's like, yeah, it's great 
when to, to want things to, to quantify it, it just means that you want, you know, you want to have a voice in the world. Really? I think it's just says you want, you have a message, you have something that you want to say that you think is worth, worth hearing. And, you know, not all of these things will, all of your works are going to quantify themselves in some sort of an external response to you. But, you know, everything is just part of that, that iceberg that you're sort of, you're building up, right? And everything, and and we talk about this often where there's, there's nothing wasted, you know, um, just because nobody else sees it doesn't mean that it's, it's invalid, Mm -hmm. um, and, and not worth anything. I mean, celebrate the, it's worth to you Mm -hmm. in the experience that it gave you in the practice that it gave you in the insights that it, that it offers. Um, there's, there's so many gifts that happen from the things that don't necessarily translate. Uh, and from, from that, I mean, I think they, they work together. It's, you know, it's how we finish this, this talk, which is like, it's, you know, it's all about the love. Ultimately everything is about the love. I mean, that, that should inform all of your artistic endeavors. <laughs> yeah. Like love permeates through everything. Otherwise, why do we even make art? Art is an act of love in so many ways, even when it's dark and even when it's gross and even when it's, you know, any number of things, it's still, it's love is still associated to that thing, you know, in some way. Yeah. I really do think like art is recognizing beauty in something. Even if you're looking at the ugliness, you're, because you're looking at the ugliness in reverse, you see the beauty. So it always, it always kind of reflects both, you know? And, um, that's why I think someone can put like a shower in the middle of the room and call it art, you know, because in a way you can, you can look at it out of context of a bathroom and you can see it. And there's a kind of a beauty to it in a, in a way. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I think the more gritty stuff helps us appreciate when things are not so gritty. I, I think, um, you know, right now, at least in movies and television, you know, we've kind of embraced the antihero more, but I think the antihero is doing a wonderful thing in showing us that, to appreciate the life we do have. Like when you watch the Breaking Bad, you watch the House of Cards in a way it's fascinating. But at the same time, if you really honest to yourself, you probably appreciate your life's not like that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And at the same time, um, you know, I think, uh, acknowledge like, like there is no light without the dark. You know what I mean? Um, also, and my other final note was that I think making art too quantifiable is making it too conditional. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where it becomes a problem. Like the conditions are not real. You know, the conditions are made up. So you can, you can, you can play with them. You can use them, but I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think that they necessarily are the ultimate guide. Uh, I think they help us maybe meet, um, people in rapport. Like, for example, I don't think that you're going to go into a relationship and give the person no attention and no affection and nothing and just say, no, I really love you. And they're going to be okay with that because that's not necessarily meeting them at the conditions that they want. But I think that the conditions are still made up. And I think if we 
only work from conditions, we're working from a very shallow place. Because ultimately, I think what people, you know, it, they, there's that saying, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. You know, and I think that that's very relevant, you know, in, uh, in today's like art, you know, it's, it isn't what you do, it's, it's, it's how it was done, which really is the important part of it, you know. Um, anyway. Was it done with love and was it done with authenticity and, and truth and yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, that was a not so serious Sunday. A long one. A l- yeah? Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.